Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Brian Solis, and we're going to talk about how to avoid distraction as a marketer and as a human. It's a very interesting conversation that I hope you will enjoy. A couple interesting things. At the very end of today's podcast episode, one of my daughters interviews me, and it's about six or seven minutes. I hope you enjoy that. Also, if you want to reach out to me, you can direct message me on Instagram at at Stelzner, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R, or of course, you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle, here is this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found an app for Instagram that is doing something unique out there. Uh, for context, all through last year, Instagram has been adding tons of new features, whether it's in stories or in how you create posts. So it's been tougher to find an app that does something that basically Instagram's app doesn't already do. And we've talked about a lot of different apps on this show. This one called Scroll does something that I'm kind of pretty amazed by. So uh, to find this, it's it's called Scroll, but it's named S-C-R-L, but it's called Scroll for a reason because there's a lot of scrolling involved. Um, what it can do is essentially level up your landscape photography, but not just in terms of uh, you know, actual landscapes. It's the landscape form of uh, posting a post. You know how you can throw a bunch of different images together and swipe through them on a regular Instagram post. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, kind of like a carousel, uh, right? Yes, like a carousel. And so, and then there's the version of that where it's one big image and it's chopped up into different pieces and you're swiping through the same image, but you go, you know, one section at a time. Think of those concepts, but now think of editing that entire wide landscape photo and being able to know where exactly the breaks are. And, and by breaks, I mean the uh, vertical slices, know, the, the yeah. slices. Yes. And then being able to throw different photos in, in different parts of that as different collage elements and throw text in as well. And then not only that, what you can do is either export it out as an image that you can upload and have be a swipeable carousel or export it out as a video that automatically scrolls and you can use either as a post or as a story. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so is this, this is an app, right? A mobile app? Yes. Yes. Okay. And what does it cost? It is free. Okay. Do you use it to actually take the photograph itself? Um, no. Or is it taking stuff off your camera roll? No, it it will it'll actually take stuff off of your camera roll. So you'll want to have uh, d any different like landscape photos. Or again, you don't technically you don't have to have landscape photos. You have an open canvas that you can drop a bunch of different photos onto in a different order. So you can from left to right tell a story as people swipe, either in Instagram posts or in Instagram stories. Awesome. Where do we find this thing? You can find it at scrollapp.com. And again, it's spelled differently. So it's S-C-R-L-A-P-P.com. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. 
we do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with Brian Solis. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Brian Solis. Brian is a digital analyst and futurist at the Altimeter Group. He's also authored a lot of books you might be familiar with, including the Social Media Manifesto, Engage, and his latest work is Life Scale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. Welcome back, Brian. Oh my goodness! It is so good to be back. And it also seems like just yesterday that we uh, we spoke, but it was I think a couple years ago. Well, no, I'm pretty sure you were on within the last twelve months for sure. Um, all but, right, we'll, we'll give it that. Yeah, for sure. And I we talk all the time, and I'm super excited to bring you back because this is something a little different for you and for us to talk about. So today, Brian and I are going to explore why we, as marketers and people who live in this age that's very social, seem to be continuously distracted and unproductive. Um, Brian, I would love to start with a little bit of your why. What motivated you to write this book, and did you plan to write this book? <laughs> I'll answer the second one first. No, I, I, and I think that's sort of the answer to the first part of the question. I didn't, I didn't set out to write this book, uh, and just to give you a quick story behind it, I actually was setting out to write a book on innovation and how to make innovation uh, a much more approachable, a, a much more approachable phenomenon, especially in an era of machine learning and AI. And I just found myself writing and writing and writing, essentially spinning in a in a in a vicious cycle that wasn't getting any closer to what my editor at the time felt was was where we needed to be, and. That and also having the opportunity to present last year at Social Media Marketing World kind of put me on this journey of revisiting my relationship with social media and technology and really started to explore the depths of why these things were so immersive and then eventually discovering that they were designed to be not just distracting, but addictive, and really started to peel back the layers of that phenomenon to see if I was affected by all of this stuff. And indeed, I was. And long story short, I Googled, <laughs> I Googled what to do about it. And I was just greeted with platitudes or inspirational quotes or common practices like take up yoga or meditation or download the Calm app uh, or Headspace uh, or practice mindfulness. So a lot of things that sort of helped with the symptoms, but there wasn't really anything that was going to help me write my book. Uh, so that is the story behind why I wrote this book. You kind of hinted a little bit about what the problem is, but let's elaborate. What is the problem that we as marketers and consumers are facing today that um, led you to do all this research? Like, let's dig a little deeper there. If you think about it, whether we're marketers or whether we're just human beings <laughs> consuming content online or posting our, our best life or sharing these experiences that we have, we're not only living a digital lifestyle, but we're sort of caught up in this, this constant cycle of sharing and consuming and liking and getting liked and following and being followed, it just becomes this way of life and thinking that takes away from your moments to dive deeper into certain projects because you're constantly being notified of updates or you're constantly thinking about, I wonder if I do have notifications or updates. And for better or for worse, it just kind of breaks your, your rhythm 
uh, by design. Uh, and if you're a marketer, just play that out into, into you know, what I call the short attention span uh, economy is, or short attention span theater. If you have to reach someone, you have to increasingly become more aggressive, more ambitious, more entertaining, more bombastic to get anyone's attention. And then even if you do get that attention, you're only going to have it for a moment. So what are you going to do with it that's going to create some kind of metric that matters? Uh, and then yeah, if you think about it from the consumer side, everybody's trying to do that. So how are you going to focus on a brand or a market, a marketer or just something of relevance that's constantly in need of connecting with you as you change through your everyday engagement with social media or your device in general. So it does create a, a, a bit of an attention crisis that we have to think more holistically about. And just being louder and more bombastic is not the answer. Brian, you and I are uh, a little more gray hair maybe than some of our listeners and we remember when there wasn't a lot of channels right to distract us like i remember as a kid flipping the television on and there was like maybe six or seven or eight stations there was one local newspaper um there was maybe a couple of radio stations and that was pretty much the world that we knew now of course there's unlimited options and that can be a blessing and a curse um what has it done to us as humans in your opinion Oh, boy, you just had me rethink uh, what childhood was like having to get up from the couch to turn the dial on the television. Uh, indeed, indeed, I do have my gray hairs. Uh, I, it's it's relative, right? I think every every generation learns in its own way how to manage multiple media sources. I think the challenge that we all have is whether or not we realize that we are distracted or that there is consequences or ramifications of that distraction. I think that was, I had a really interesting conversation with my editor as we were kind of thinking through the book and its value, which was, how are you going to sell a book to people who don't necessarily realize that they have a problem uh, or that anything's wrong with any of this? And I had to I had to really think that through uh, to kind of go with reverse engineer it, which was, what do you feel every single day? Uh, is it anxiety? Is it lower self-esteem or lower confidence? Is it uh, just lacks of creativity or that you're not motivated or you're uninspired? And you tackle all these things and you work backwards from there so that you can find bridges to build back to the heart of a lot of this stuff, which is no one gave us a manual for how to live life uh, in in these times. When we were younger, we had, you know, for the most part, we had teachers and we had parents and we had managers who sort of navigated the media landscape for us at those points, but they weren't I don't know that they were as distracting or as pervasive as they are now. I mean, certainly with, with the smartphone and certainly with social media, things really started to get democratized. And that uh, I, I used to joke that, you know, the good thing about all of it is that it gave us a voice. The bad thing about all of it is that it gave us a voice. And mm -hmm. that I really think that changed the game. Are you beginning to see or have you seen in doing the research for this book that there is a movement being born? That is um, perhaps, I don't know what you would call it, but maybe detoxing. Um, talk to me a little bit. Digital detox. <laughs> I'm hearing that phrase. I mean, um, you know, because some of the stuff you talked about kind of like alludes to that. And if so, what is going on with this movement and and what are they doing? You know, look, I want to support all of the different movements that exist that are essentially revolving around what's being touted as digital wellness. That is things like a detox camp or going to dinners where you have to check your device at the door and the whole premise is that you have to talk to people. And uh, there are apps, ironically, also that are aiming to focus you on the matter at hand or the the moment that you're in. Uh, so all of these things exist because there is some recognition that that we are giving ourselves too much to these devices in some ways. Uh, so, for example, uh, Android and uh, Google and, and Apple have introduced digital wellness um, sort of platforms or dashboards on your devices to help you understand how much time you're spending on these things and where you're spending that time. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of these folks that I talk to, friends and also experts, 
some of them look at that as a badge of honor of how much time they're spending instead of kind of thinking about what what else could that time go to that's a little bit more productive or lucrative. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, what if you didn't have to give any of this stuff up, right? I mean, certainly we were upset at Facebook with the Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica news, and a lot of people have threatened or continue to threaten to you know kill their their Facebook presence or their social media presence and take some time off, which, hey, you know, I, I encourage any exploration that's going to find you getting to know yourself better and what's important to you. But I also live in a world, and, and Michael, I know you you live in the same world, that these technologies that distract us are also these technologies that can empower us and allow us to be not only productive, but far more uh, impactful to the world. So part of the journey that I went on and I researched was how do you make these things work for you rather than you giving yourself to them all the time? And that, that was that there is no easy answer, but all of the things you mentioned are important, but I think that there's a deeper, a deeper journey that we all need to go, go through to figure out how we got here in the first place. Before we go there, you did allude earlier that these social platforms were almost engineered or designed to be addictive. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, why is that? And, help us because I think being aware of what's happening is like one step in the right direction. You know, I, I remember sharing this with your audience. I remember being so inspired by the reaction of, of everyone at social media market world. I, I still hear from people by the way, which is, um, which is incredible. I put in a lot of love and a lot of research into digging out exactly what, what was happening behind the scenes that even still to this day, I'm, I'm surprised that it's not a bigger deal. For example, anyone who wants to just get a quick dive into what, what this stuff is doing to you, just Google Tristan Harris and his work around exposing. He's almost like the magician's secret revealed, uh, secrets revealed or the whistleblower on, on these fronts. He was a, he was a designer for some of the big names and he revealed a lot of the tips and tricks. So for example, if you open any one of your apps, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, you'll notice that there is a millisecond delay between the app opening and how many notifications you've had since the last time opening is meant to sort of build some anxiety, uh, in that moment so that it unlocks chemicals with in your body that your body wants more um, anticipation right yeah absolutely anticipation so that you're relieved when you see that there is a number uh, and you you get into the pattern of doing that Um, there's also this this constant need to feel like you have to update because you you've built this audience and that validation or that feel that those feelings that you get when someone likes or responds to your post that also unlocks chemicals and you 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 crave more of that it's called uh, intermittent uh, responsive design and it's it's not unlike the type of, of essentially strategies that go into designing uh, slot machines and uh, a lot of the games in in Vegas or any place where gambling is legal so it's it's certainly certainly not healthy well and it's kind of shocking but not shocking, but it is still shocking to think that these things were engineered from the get-go, right? Um, because the people behind Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, every other app you can imagine that's popular, they need people to use the app in order for the whole network effect to work, right? So they need a way to bring you back. And that's kind of engineered into the system to basically tap into, if you will, things that we're not even aware of. Right. And I think that's what makes it so difficult. I mean, think about everybody you know and that I know, since we know a lot of the same people who quit Facebook and are back. Right. Uh, and, and it's simply because it's too great. It's too great of a challenge. It's not unlike quitting cigarettes or quitting alcohol. It's your body's become used to it because of the chemicals that are released in the engagement. And they know that. And the more that they can get you to participate in the system, the more that you will, the more that you'll unlock those chemicals, the more that it becomes addictive and it becomes a vicious cycle in, in, in ways of which, like we talked about on stage last year, the same techniques go into fake news, go into conspiracy theories, go into all kinds of things that get you triggered into that moment and get you unlocking these these chemicals that just drive you. You're starting to see folks like uh, some of the biggest leaders in the world are in the digital space who are 
are trying to get people to pay attention. I think uh, Roger McAfee, who was one of the earliest investors in Facebook, just came out with a book uh, that talked about how Facebook is ruining the world. And that's that's a guy who helped launch Facebook. Is that the same McAfee that used to do some sort of like virus thing or something or antivirus thing? Or is that something? Not not that one. He's certainly certainly a a voice on on other subjects. I see. Got it. Okay. So um, yeah, fascinating. So okay. So so far, what we've talked about is, hey, um, we live in a world where we're very distracted and the reality is that we don't seem to get things done. And we can either try to fully extract ourselves from that world, probably unsuccessfully, (laughs) or there's another way, which is what I'm hoping you're going to talk to us about right now, right? Um, Which is, it sounds like you figured out a way to um, be aware and embrace some of what's going on without full abandonment. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I hope so. Uh, first, I have to correct a mistake. It's Roger McNamee. Oh, okay. Got it. And the other name I definitely want to make sure that people follow, because he's becoming a powerful voice on the subject, is the founder of Salesforce, which is Mark Benioff. And he's uh-huh. really calling attention to a lot of this stuff, too. Uh, but also Tristan Harris as well. But, but yes, so this is what I hope. Uh, I didn't have an answer. I think the first pages of the book basically say – uh, as as you read this page right now, I don't have an answer for what this journey is going to look like, but I promise you as you turn the page, I've figured it out. And mm. that's that's where I spent all my time was just trying to s- understand the psychology of this, the uh, the emotions of this, the neuroplasticity of it, uh, where your brain rewires essentially because of how you're using this tech uh, and and find ways to essentially rewire your life back into a way that was going to be more productive. But it had to start not with technology, but a, a much more personal and introspective um, process, which was what's valuable to us. You know, what what are we trying to do? Uh, are, are we are we trying to live our best life because that's the best life that we see everybody else living, or do we actually think about our best life as something different and incredible, and that these tools are either helping or taking away from us getting there? And that that journey was not an app or not any kind of exercise or not any kind of practice that wasn't looking at everything but yourself. And that, believe it or not, is where I think we're missing a lot of these opportunities because we're moving so quickly. Our brains are learning how to speed up so fast to keep up with all of this stuff. And we're pulled in so many directions at every minute of the day that we almost are losing touch with ourselves. And I wouldn't say almost that we are losing touch with ourselves. So that's what this journey is about is, is, almost like a control alt delete becoming a life guide of reimagining what your life should be in this era of distraction and then how to rebuild everything with these tools and these devices and these networks to work for you to put yourself in control of unlocking how they can help you get to where you need to be so what are a couple things we need to be pondering then you know for those listening right now they're like okay i i can sense that there is some disconnect between where i want to be and where i am and i know that um, clearly it's digital <laughs> partly, you know, what, wh- what do we ask ourselves? Where do we start? The book walks through a series of exercises that sort of build upon each other so that they're very easy at first and they kind of get you to think, Hmm, I never thought about things this way. You know, and I ask you questions like, Hey, have you ever noticed, uh, if, when you try to focus on something, uh, that you allow yourselves to be distracted, uh, because you don't feel that you're being distracted because you feel like you're multitasking and that multitasking is actually very productive. Or if you look at, which it isn't, if you look at, uh, say something like the Pomodoro technique, which is asking you to focus on something for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break. And then you ask, you know, a a page later asks you, you know, how, how many minutes did you get into it before you had to take a break? And, uh, just thinking of how difficult it is to focus for 25 minutes, uh, is, is part of the challenge that we're, we're overcoming. Um, let's talk about that right now for a second. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I find that if I am, driving my car and listening to some really good storytelling audio. For example, like um, Guy Raz interviewing someone about like how they built their company or Business Wars, which is a wondery podcast that talks about like how businesses were, you know, historical kind of podcasts about how businesses went to battle with each other. Or if I'm watching something on like Amazon video or Netflix, I can go for a lot longer than 20 minutes because I'm engrossed in a story and I have no desire to want to be distracted at all. If anything, I want 
to stay there in that moment. But outside of these compelling stories, I find it exceptionally difficult. What does that tell you about me? Well, what it tells me about you is that you found something that gives your that gives your attention a sense of engagement and a sense of purpose. And I think that's what a lot of us are missing. So, for example, I use creativity uh, either with the big C, you know, like big genius creativity or with little C, like just the everyday stuff that you might do with a doodle or that you might uh, create just every with the picture you might take. Uh, but. I use that as a sense of purpose because we ha- we all need something that's going to engage us and drive us to want to do these things. Because unfortunately, we I, I would say this is just sort of a general observation, is that there isn't a sense of urgency that you have to do anything today, right? The only reason I figured out I had a problem is because I couldn't write my book, and that was going to impact my <laughs> my speaking uh, sort of marketability and, and my my visibility in general. I got hit pretty hard, but most most of us don't necessarily know that we're we are distracted. So when you talk about being engaged in the car like that, I mean that that's purposeful, and I think that's what this journey is about: is finding those things that engage you and putting more of that in your life. Because the more you can do that, the more you build discipline and you build these skills and you sharpen your focus. Where without even knowing it, you're getting better uh, and stronger and more creative over time. Well, but here's the flip side that I didn't tell you. Sitting in front of my computer, I have my little sticky note in front of me of all the things that I need to get done today. And if there's not a big list on that sticky note, then I will let everything distract me. I will check my email. I will check my social platforms. I will check Messenger. I will check Instagram. I'll do everything I can to just make sure all that stuff is gone before I start what I really need to do. Um, And I got a feeling I'm not alone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. And we we all do that, and I think that's part of the challenge. What we don't recognize, though, is as we're doing that, uh, you're you're essentially exchanging temporary chemicals and feelings, uh, be, and 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 confusing those with things that are important that aren't important uh, for fuel that can go somewhere else. We only have every day so much fuel that can go into Hmm. whatever it is that we have to accomplish, whether that's writing or phone calls or or teaching. Uh, And that creative fuel is exhausted by the chemicals we expend on on the emotions on the other side of things. And so we don't necessarily do our best work when we come out of it. We don't necessarily, uh, it affects the the output and the outcome. That's exactly what we have to address is the discipline of not doing those things until you feel it's time to do that. When you feel like that list has been checked off or that there are things that aren't on your longer term goals that you're not moving towards every single day. And then you go look at Instagram or you look at these other, these other platforms and sort of putting them in their place. But to get there, you still have to sort of recognize, and this is why I talk about at the beginning of the book is that we have to recognize that there are problems in, in the first place that we we haven't even thought about, you know, and this is what's happening to you behind the scenes. Have you ever read The Road Less Traveled by Dr. Um, M. Scott Peck? Does that book sound familiar to you at all? It was very popular, like in the 90s and 80s. Are you familiar with it at all? I know of it. I didn't read it, no, but I, I'm... So the first chapter talks about delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And I read this back when I was, you know, out of college trying to figure out, I think, what I wanted to do with my life because I couldn't get anything done. And um, the whole concept of delayed gratification is kind of like needing to become more prevalent again today, right? Because what was talked about in that book was that if we put off gratification, we can actually feel more gratified. I know it sounds crazy, but by um, delaying the gratification, uh, instead focusing on other things, um, you can accomplish almost anything you want. And it's kind of crazy. It was based on psychological research at the time, which sounds very relevant today, right? Like what I'm really hearing you say is that what I'm doing when I'm checking social and email and all these other things is I'm seeking instant gratification in exchange for, uh, instead of doing the work, um, which is technically going to be more gratifying for me. <laughs> so no wonder sometimes I feel like the whole day was wasted. <laughs> Hey, look, and the thing about it is it, is it builds up this um, – it creates this unnamed uh, and unidentified blob of sort of stress and anxiety within each of us because because we're, we do feel good as we do it. it. In fact, some would say that they're gratified as, as we're sort of exploring all of these distractions. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, I think what we got fooled into, and this is, this is not necessarily our own faults, 
is actually believing that they were more important than they really are. And this is why I use creativity as, the, as my muse in the book is that when you create and when you give something to yourself or to, to anyone around you, that is a better moment for a community. That's a better moment or a spark for conversation or engagement. And that shifts us from a consumption mentality to a creation mentality where we are starting to feel that gratification as we go because of how people react to that rather than these 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 false i mean the false gods of just attention and and likes and followers. i'm glad you brought that up because um you, you asked earlier like what's most valuable what really matters right and i i think that the social platforms in particular know that there is a deep desire in many of us to be famous and I think of that show fame that was on in the nineties or whatever. I don't know if you ever watched that show, but <laughs> the theme song was, I want to live forever, you know? Um, and I think that there is this desire by many of us to be famous and, you know, maybe as kids, we wanted to be like our favorite sports star or favorite musician or favorite, favorite actor or radio personality. And social media gave us a little bit of that. And all of a sudden told us that that was the most important thing. And I wonder if that's possibly a little bit of an epidemic going on right now. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, boy. How much time do we have on this one? <laughs> Unravel, my friend. <laughs> I have studied this separately since the uh, late 90s, uh, go going back to the days that individuals were able to build presences and followers on things like discussion boards and forums and have written research consistently up until uh, the end of last year on this subject. So this is a big deal. Uh, this is also part of the challenge is that we are all becoming famous, even if it's just micro fame. We don't see it as micro fame. We just see it as having this platform of followers that kind of lure us into having to create for those followers or at least be be present so that we're not disappointing or losing relevance uh, among them. Uh, that that didn't come with a manual. Uh, and also it came with a series of challenges and life lessons that moved us from the center of reference that we were all sort of conditioned with as young children, say parents, religion, uh, school, what have you. Uh, and now when you start to get a taste of this attention or this taste of this fame or this taste of this influence, that you want more and you crave more and you start to push the boundaries of what you're going to do for it. And before you know it, you've moved your center of reference so far away from what it used to be that you're living a different life that isn't rooted in things like core values or core aspirations or uh, core beliefs or conventions because you're sort of moving and reacting as you go. And I think, look, if, if you had to liken this to something else, imagine imagine what it was like in the 80s to become a rock star out of nowhere uh, or, or in the 90s and 2000s to become a pop star. And you just suddenly are thrust into this life of which most people make mistakes, whether they mismanage money or they get into drugs or whether they uh, lose their relationships because they become a sex addict, whatever it is. Those are the things that life didn't prepare them for because they just wanted to make music uh, or they just wanted to get famous. Uh, and a lot of that is sort of I think what we're talking about here is that life scale becomes a guide for life because we didn't get the instruction manual, nor did we have the parents or coaches or teachers or managers to sort of help us deal with that instant micro fame or that attention that came along with this. What tips do you have, if any, to help deal with that um, for those that are listening? You know, the whole book is, is about tips. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, let's be honest, um, you know, you and I have had a level of fame that's been around for a while. And we may not publicly say that, but I'll, I'm willing to say that about you. And I think you would probably say that about me, but I'm not saying that to brag, but I, but we both know that what comes with this is often unhealthy things. You know what I mean? Like everybody idolizes you. Um, they expect things of you and it's very hard to really ever live up to the expectations of your fans. And um, I'll speak from my own experience. I found that, it's impossible to satisfy everyone. And if you try to make that your mission, you will never accomplish anything. That's my first little piece of advice is know who the heck you're trying to serve, right? And don't be there mm -hmm. for everyone. You want to echo on top of that anything you've discovered? 
Yeah, look, I'll tell you, I think I made a lot of mistakes. No one, no one, no one taught me what popularity or attention <laughs> was going to, was going to do or the temptations that you would be faced uh, with. And uh, yeah, those mistakes were life changing in many regards. And I wish, I wish I had someone or I wish I had something to sort of guide me th- guide me through that. But I think the biggest challenge too was that I didn't know <laughs> that I was making mistakes at the time. And like you said, it's really about defining success on, on your own terms, but then what is success? You know, what is happiness? And the one tip I, I would have, and, and this is where the book really breaks you down in a, in a really positive way, is it asks you to go through those exercises of what, what is important to you. What, what is it that makes you happy and it sort of challenges you on the answers by saying, you know, what if I told you that's exactly what everybody else says, you know, not what if you had to really get through this. Um, so for, I'll give you an example, you know, for, for me, when I was, when I was young, I was living a life that my parents and their parents uh, told me that I was supposed to live. I was supposed to go to college. I was supposed to get a great job. I was supposed to buy a house. I was supposed to buy buy you know two point two cars and have two point two kids. And uh, then you watch television. You watch movies and you, your favorite bands. Suddenly you feel like this isn't this isn't where you should be. You're supposed to have a bigger house. You're supposed to have a better car or more cars. You're supposed to have uh, a, a much more attractive and smarter significant other. And then you're constantly never satisfied and even commercials and 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 society at large are telling that you're you're not good enough where you are so i think a lot of that was just embracing the less is more mentality and walking through recentering your center of reference that's the tip that's the biggest tip is that i'll just challenge what you believe is success and challenge what you believe is happiness and then challenge who you're looking to right now that you see validating your current beliefs on all of those fronts and just start over i think you're going to find actually that you have some core people around you that are more important to you than you realize and a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of things in your life that are actually weighing you down i like that a lot Okay, so we've spent a lot of time talking about how we as humans and marketers um, need to be aware of what's happening around us and need to be, you know, cognizant, if you will, of, um, of how these are changing our ability to work and be happy. Um, I want to flip it a little bit, you know, for the business marketer right now. You know, how do we not abuse this, but somehow work with this? Because, you know, this question could be perceived as highly manipulative, which is not where I'm going with this. But if we as marketers who work for businesses are aware that we ourselves and probably our customers and fans are dealing with this, how can we somehow lean into it without manipulating it? I don't know if I'm asking that well, but hopefully you can give, give some sort of response. Yeah, I hope this. I hope this is what you're looking for. I, I remember studying digital influence, uh, not just in social media and, and you know, quote unquote, influencer marketing, but I mean things like governments and how technology can influence us for better or for worse. And I remember coming up with some saying that there was there was two ways uh, to change behavior. One was to inspire it, and the other one was to manipulate it. And I think that a lot of a lot of what's happening today was is is the result of manipulation, and we don't see it as that uh, because we get that instant gratification and it just sort of feel feels good along the way until it doesn't. When it comes to businesses and when it comes to engagement, surely you have to ask yourself what game are you playing? Um, does does the game of relevance matter? Uh, and I'm I'm pretty sure it does, right? You want people to see your brand or your company in the most positive light, and it wants to, you want to be top of mind when someone has to make a decision about that. It's just how do you go about doing that? So, I think if you're manipulating attention through stunts and trends and what have you, then that's sort of what your brand becomes. But I also think about utility and assistance in an era of constant distraction and an era of constant instant gratification and seeking attention and all of those things that are just so exhausting what if you were a brand or a marketer that 
produced content that was there when I needed it, when I go through my research process or my discovery process. And, oh, my goodness, you knew what my day was like. You knew the type of content that I, I, uh, I need to consume. You knew the questions that I was asking. And suddenly there was this wealth of information that guided me on a journey that led me from where I was to you. I think it's, it's exploring or reimagining the customer journey of one where you don't have to, quote, unquote, market or manipulate people, that you could find them and deliver value and, and use all these these advanced technological platforms like uh, AI and machine learning to scale those messages, to tweak those messages, to tweak that content and tailor everything for people the way that they're going through their journeys today. Now, I tell you, if I found if I found a brand like that, of course I would want I would want to give them my business. In fact, statistics show that that's the case. So for example, more and more people, whatever the industry is, are going to their smartphones first because obviously what we've been talking about, it's the device we always have on and with us. Uh, and so we're going to those mobile devices to make decisions about whatever it is that we need to buy or whatever it is that we need to research. And let's just say that 90% of those decisions start on a smartphone. Uh, and in that journey, 78% of us are going to go along with the company that we felt was mo most useful in those moments. And this is a big deal because it resets our idea of what brand value is. We used to go into the journey with X amount of brands already in mind because of pre-existing marketing. And, but now we're just starting over. I want to see what's best for me. I want to see what's most useful for me. And that that's a game changer. I think of, I don't know if you saw this recent, I think it's recent, Dove campaign where they brought women in and they had a, like a sketch artist. Have you seen this one? Mm -hmm. uh, describe mm -hmm. what the women looks like. And then they had um, someone else come in and describe what that person looked like. And then the, the whole thing is that you're more beautiful than you think was the whole idea behind it. I thought it was such a powerful ad because it's, um, it's dealing with some of these kind of issues, you know, indirectly because it's like, Hey, you know, you might feel like you're not good enough because we live in this era where you see all these beautiful pictures <laughs> on Instagram, right? <laughs> and you're comparing yourself to those. But the reality is that the world sees you differently than you do. I just thought, man, that's kind of not easy to do, but it feels like they're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, you just hit you, you just hit something that's um, really deep within me that I one of the things that inspired this book that I didn't really talk about was... I had spent a year doing research with a global beauty brand that's I mean it's it's I don't know that there's anything bigger than this this company and ooh it was a report direct directly for the global CEO who wanted to understand the effects of Instagram Snapchat uh, Facetune on a woman's definition of beauty mm. but also how that definition of beauty was changing and how they felt that their relationship with these platforms or apps uh, were affecting their own standards. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I interviewed women from age 6 to 61, uh, and a lot of this was just heartbreaking, uh, to your point. They, their self-esteem was through through the roof. Uh, the, the these apps that make them more beautiful and and and, and at least in what they define as beauty by outside standards, uh, were creating these. The, the people were becoming more self-conscious. They, they they were less confident. They they were starting to seek uh, at young ages plastic surgeries so that they could look like their filters. Uh, it mm. was. It was heartbreaking, and then there was also hope too that some of the folks that I got a chance to talk to were had gone through these these incredible hardships where they were almost broken uh, or broken and rebuilt their lives around defining standards that were more important to them. Like, why do I have to subscribe or subscribe to somebody else's definition of beauty? I want to, I want my own definition of beauty, and I want to surround myself with people who believe in that and that that they had to go on their own, which was heartbreaking too, because society wasn't helping them. Aside from a Dove commercial here and there, you know, for the most part, parents and teachers, uh, 
don't know that this is happening behind the scenes because they didn't have to live that life. And also, Instagram is pushing these ridiculous standards that aren't even real in most cases. So there's a lot of awareness that needed to happen. That research was published for internal purposes only, but I wish I could have published it as as its own report because there's very little research on the subject. But this is exactly what we need. It's beauty. It's life. It's how we see ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. Because all of these technologies aren't just distractions. It's what you do with that time, too, that's actually affecting your life. And your example with Instagram and false standards of beauty and success are part of the problem. Well, first of all, Brian, I want to thank you for tackling a big issue that probably will never be um, resolved with just a single book. I I would imagine you could do volumes on something like this. But I do want to encourage people to go out and get Life Scale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. Because I believe that this transcends those of us who are just marketers, but I think it can make us better people, more satisfied in everything that we do. And hopefully you got a taste of what Brian was trying to accomplish with this book today. Where can they find it, Brian? Where can they connect with you? Well, they could they could follow me uh, at Brian Solis pretty much everywhere. The website is lifescaling.me, and the book, I think, is pretty much everywhere you would buy books from. So please, uh, please do uh, pick it up. And also please reach out to me uh, in whatever way you choose to let me know how you responded to the book. Because I, uh, I got to tell you, this is, this is a scary one for me. It's my first personal venture ever. And uh, I don't know, I'm putting it's, I think vulnerability here is, is both the, it could be a weakness, but here I'm putting myself out there and I'd love to hear how it's helping you uh, as well. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on today's show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's episode. By the way, the interview that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast with my daughter will be coming up in just a second, but I just do want to let you know that uh, we took all the notes for you from today's show. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 346. Now for that little interview with my daughter. Today, I'm joined with my dad, Michael Stelsner. If you don't know who he is, he is the CEO and founder of Social Media Examiner. He has written two books, has a podcast called The Social Media Marketing Podcast. He hosts a conference called Social Media Marketing World every year in San Diego and has a YouTube show called The Journey. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. First off, how would you describe your job to people who don't know you? Well, I would probably say I am a marketer who helps other marketers figure out how to use social media. Okay. How do you stay on top of a constantly changing industry? It's a great question. First of all, I get awesome guests on my podcast every week, and I ask them lots of questions, and I learn from them. Another thing that I do is listen to the weekly news show that we produce called the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. I also read a lot. Uh, On my phone, I'm constantly getting updates on everything that's going on. We also have a little news team and a private Facebook group where we post all the related news, and pretty much that's how I do it. Cool. Um, What do you see as the next big thing in social media marketing? Maybe it's a platform? I think that right now, what's popular in social media marketing is video. Many social media marketers who've been around for a while Remember when there was no such thing as video on Facebook and Twitter and the other social platforms. And now, not only can we go live on these platforms and do video, but they also really encourage us to do short form vertical video. It's called stories, like Instagram stories, Facebook stories, YouTube stories, dot, dot, dot. So I think short form video storytelling is kind of the future for the social platforms. What is one big decision that you made that you thought would work out but didn't? Oh my gosh. Well, the life of a business person is making lots of decisions that do not work out. When I launched season two of The Journey, I decided to push the entire audience that we have over to Facebook. And it turns out after I analyzed everything, people don't like to watch video on Facebook for very long. So that was a big mistake. And we ended up moving everything instead over to YouTube. It was a lot of work, but, you know, we learned from it. How did you see the analytics for the videos on Facebook? Facebook provides you a lot of interesting analytics. One of them is called a retention graph. And you can actually look at a Facebook video and it shows you how long people watch before they leave the video. And I was seeing this retention graph that looked like 
the front face of El Capitan. It dropped straight down to almost nothing in the first couple of seconds. And uh, on YouTube, it looks quite different. On YouTube, it gradually starts going downhill, almost like a nice sled hill. <laughs> um, what are some of the strategies you use to make people buy tickets for your conference? Well, first of all, I don't make them buy anything. <laughs> but what I do do is encourage them to consider why attending Social Media Marketing World would be something useful for them. One of the things that I do is uh, we show stories and videos of some of our customers that have been there. So we we do video interviews and we tell their stories via email about how attending the conference helped them. Other things that we do is we profile some of the amazing speakers. Uh, every week lately, we've been interviewing those speakers live on Facebook, asking them what their predictions are for the future and what the trends are. And we say, hey, for those watching who've never been to Social Media Marketing World, why should they come? So there's just a couple of different things that we've been doing. How much work goes into creating a conference every year? Oh, a lot of work. Uh, we have, boy, we, we have to plan years in advance. So for example, we're just about to sign the 2022 contract for the space uh, at the convention center and, and the hotels. Um, we have a lot of people that work, um, probably couple hundred people working on the conference, at least. If you count staff, volunteers, convention center personnel, hotel personnel, it's probably a thousand people that are working on the convention itself. Awesome. Uh, what advice would you give to people trying to get into your industry? Uh, well, it's constantly changing. So don't feel like you're too late. That's the first piece of advice. Uh, the second piece of advice is you need to really kind of pay attention to a lot of the free resources that are out there. Uh, we at Social Media Examiner have a podcast, a blog, uh, a daily Alexa flash briefing, a weekly live show. So I would just encourage people to start reading, listening, and watching all the free stuff we put out there. How do you create an active learner? Do you mean by active learner, someone who wants to keep coming back and watching and learning? Yes. What you're calling an active learner, I'm going to call someone who loves your content and wants to keep consuming it. Uh, the key is to provide more value than they expect. So what that means is when they listen to you, watch you, or read the content you're producing, hopefully they'll walk away with something that they can try and that it works. And then in their mind, they'll say, wow, how much more will I discover if I continue to watch or learn this particular person or listen to this person? So that's the key to everything is to create high quality, high um, actionable content that people want to uh, want to share, want to bookmark, want to print, and want to act on. And when you do that, when you help them, they begin telling other people, they begin listening, and they become very loyal fans. Awesome. Thank you for your insight. I'm sure people learned a lot from this interview. Well, thank you for your wonderful questions. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. May I publish this on my podcast? What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.